Good morning. It is great to see you this morning. I hope you had a wonderful week. The temperatures are finally starting to get where they're supposed to be. Nice and warm. It's summertime. I'm excited. How many of you like to go out on a boat when it's summertime? You like to get out on the boat? Okay. I'm going to tell you a little story. We're going to Matthew chapter 8, and we're talking about a story that's going to be on the boat. It's going to be on uh, the Sea of Galilee. So we're going to tell you a little story here about uh, a boat. A couple years ago, I went out to, to L.A. I had a friend that was in L.A., and so my whole family and I went out to L.A. And, and as we were out there, my friend bought a boat. He was so excited about it. He said, Heath, let's go out. Let's go do some fishing, and let's get out on the boat. And I said, sure. His boat cost him every bit of $500. That's it. Okay? So... It's exactly what you would expect of a $500 boat, okay? Not a penny more, $500 boat. So he was excited, and so we get out, and we're, we're driving, and I've got to, um, my wife, and uh, we have a couple kids at that time that were younger, and then this man's wife, they were, we were all going out to, I'm thinking the lake, right? And so we're going out to the lake, because this is a fishing boat, this is not a big boat, so we're going to the lake. Well, we, we, we're, we're driving alongside the ocean, and I we pull into this parking lot and I say, where's the lake? He said, what are you talking about? I said, aren't we going to a lake? He said, no, we're going out there. I said, wait a minute, this is a fishing boat, right? He said, yes, that's the ocean, right? Yeah. He said, we're going to go out there. And I said, no, wait a minute, time out. One, I'm scared. Two, my kids aren't going to get on your boat. I don't think we can all fit on this boat. So my kids are going to stay back. And so my wife and, and this man's wife, they stayed back and they, they kind of played out there on the beach. And, and so here we are, we hit this boat and we get it into the harbor. Now the harbor, just so you know, the harbor was a very nice harbor. There were otters playing, there were sea lions playing. There's, there's fishing boats, you know, the real fishing boats, the professional fishing boats, they were right there. I mean, it's a nice harbor. It's, it has, even some cruise ships were kind of coming in. So this harbor was really big. And so we're, we get in the boat. And I'm thinking, this is great because we're fishing the harbor. So that's what we did for a little bit. And we're having a good time. He said, okay, Heath, it's time. He said, you got it now. Now let's go out here a little bit. So we start coming around the breaker. Now, I see the water's getting a little choppy. I'm getting nervous because I'm in from West Texas. We don't have water in West Texas. I mean, that's just, you know, boating. That, I'm nervous. So we get around the breaker. And as we get out into the breaker, the waves begin, or the swells are just enormous. And so we, enormous for me. And again, we get out about five miles. And so we're out there and he says, okay, we're going to fish right here. So we start fishing and we're catching all kinds of things. As I'm standing on the boat, the swells of the next wave were all that I could see. I could not see above the swells. All right. I'm, I'm six foot one. And so every, I mean, the swell was coming. I could only see the swell. Then we'd go up. And when we were on top, I could see around. Boom. When we were down, I could not see anything else, but the next wave coming to me. My legs are shaking. I'm scared to death. We're catching fun things like sardines and stingrays. You're not supposed to catch those, but you know, we, we did. It was fun. But when I got on the ground, when we got back to land, I was so sick is the best polite way to say it in public, right? I was just so glad to be back on land. Now, you're about to read and we're about to engage into a story in which we've heard over and over again. So I don't know, maybe you've had a boat experience where the waves were so big that you began to get nervous. I don't know if you had or not, but today what we're reading, it's a true story. It's about Jesus and his disciples and they're gonna get onto a boat. 
Now, in Matthew chapter 8, just so you know, as we're coming into it, and, and maybe you haven't been paying attention, but what are being, been here for the next last few weeks, we're in a series called The Ultimate Fighting Champion, okay? And what we've done is we followed Matthew. Matthew is the writer of the book. And we followed Matthew, who is one of the disciples, and he's giving, giving us a picture and a glimpse of who Jesus is. And so he, he, he gave us the idea, and they, he showed us and told us about Jesus on the side of the mountain as he teaches the great Beatitudes. And we've heard those, we've read through those, we've studied those now. And then Jesus comes off that mountain, and he comes down into the, the city. And as he's coming down into the city, Matthew begins to show us how that Jesus faces disease and sickness. And that Jesus, when he faced the disease and sickness, they were really no match for him. Jesus was more powerful than, he was a greater fighter than, he was the ultimate fighting champion over disease. No problem. Disease were gone at just the mention of Jesus saying, leave. Then we found out that demons, people who were possessed with demons were coming to Jesus. And as they encountered Jesus, Jesus had power over demons. And when he spoke, the demons fled and they left the men. So Jesus is the ultimate fighting champion. Now we come to Jesus. And if we could call it nature, storms, weather, now we're pitting Jesus versus nature. Who has more power? And that's where we're at. Jesus is tired. He's been ministering. He's been ministering to a lot of people. He's, he's tired, he's exhausted, and he's ready to leave the crowds. And so he says, let's get onto the boat. And they get onto the boat and everybody's going, yes, this is exciting. We're gonna get on a boat. It's a calm day. The waves are looking good. The sun is shining. The waves are just, it's just, oh, it's relaxing. They're relaxing after a hard day's work. Some of them are actually obviously having to row. There's a sail probably on there. So they're coming across. And the Sea of Galilee is not like the, um, the, the Sea of Jopul Lake. It's, um, it's not that, it's, think a little bit bigger. Think about six miles across, it's a lot larger. And so it's gonna take them a while to get across. And so it's a good time to kind of unwind. And this is where we're at. Matthew chapter eight, you have your Bibles. I'm gonna ask that you stand so that way you, you don't get tired on me. Stand, get the blood circulating one more time. Matthew chapter eight, here we go. Go all the way down to verse 23 and here's what the Bible says. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there was, arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. Hmm. He said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm, and the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we look into this, God, there's so much depth here. And as we come into this passage, God, the reality is, that we need to see you more clearly. God, we need our faith to be challenged. We need our faith to be strengthened. God, we need you to show up right here in this moment. There are some storms going on in this room that God, 
only you can calm and only you can minister to. So Father, I'm asking for really what I cannot do. I'm asking that your Holy Spirit would minister to the hearts, to the souls of us in this room. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. So here we are. The disciples get into a boat, they start going across, they get out, obviously they're out a little further than, than they could swim back, they're out in the middle. And the Bible tells us that a great storm, not just a small storm, but a great storm. Some of the disciples are professional fishermen. They have grown up on this sea. This sea is what they known. Matter of fact, we just read that Peter, when they were in Peter's house, Peter lived right here on this, 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 this shores of the Sea of Galilee. He lived here. He grew up here. His dad passed on the fishing business to him. He is a fisherman. He is the boss. He is the, the CEO of his, the shipping enterprise right here on the Sea of Galilee. He knows this sea. So you have him, and then you have... James and John, who are also fishermen. You have several people who are on the sea who know this. And now Jesus, the Bible tells us that Jesus is tired. He goes to sleep and there's a storm that comes up. This is not just a small storm. This is a great storm. You see, on the Sea of Galilee, here's what you have. The sea set 600 feet below sea level. And setting 600 feet below sea level, you now have a pocket of hot air that sits around and sits over the Sea of Galilee. If you go to the north, what you have is Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon sits 9,200 feet higher than the sea level. And so what begins to happen is this, is that the cold air flies over and rushes over the mountain peaks at 9,000 feet high, and it is cold. And as it begins to come and descend down the mountainside, it gains velocity. And as it gains velocity, it comes crashing in below sea level to the hot air. Now, because we're from Texas, we know what happens when a hot, cold front and a cold, cold front come together, don't we? Storms are going to erupt, and those storms are going to be powerful, and they're going to generate lots of energy, strong winds. To add to that, on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee and on the southeastern side, what you have is this, is you have cliffs, So when the winds come and the clashing begins to happen between the cold front and the warm front, it now begins to swirl down around the southeastern side and the eastern side, and it begins to swirl, and now the sea begins to shake. And the great storm, the Greek word is actually the word we get seismic activity from. There's a great shaking of the sea. And in the great shaking of the sea, if you could just take and and get into your mind a glass of water and shaking it, when you see how much it begins to spill out and spill over, you're now getting the the grasp of, this is not just an ordinary thunderstorm. This is a grand thunderstorm. This is a grand shaking. And the lake is now tossing and turning and it begins to swirl. Are you following this? So these guys begin to get afraid in the midst of the storm. They began to use every human idea and strength that they have. 
This is how we need to put it down. We need to move the boat this way. No, we need to go this way. This is how we need to do it. Put the anchor this way, put the sail this way. We need to actually roll this way. The right side needs to roll. You ever been on a raft where you're in the, you know, rafting and right side, three strokes, left side, three strokes. And everybody's, they're doing everything they can. And in the midst of the storm, here's what happens. We encounter our limitations. In the midst of the storm, we encounter our limitations. We try everything that we can. We do everything humanly possible. We expand all of our power and influence. We talk to all of our friends. We clean out the bank account. We give all of our references. We try all sending out our resumes to anywhere. We do whatever it takes. And in the midst of the storm, we exhaust every human limitation, right? These men have tried everything. They're trying everything. They've done it all, everything humanly possible. And let me be, give you the objective for this entire message. Here's my desire for Heath today. Here's my desire for my wife today. Here's the desire for my kids today. Here's the desire that I have for believers today. And this is the desire that I have for the church today. You ready? Is that we would be able to suffer well. When you lose it all and you've tried every humanly thing you can do, not losing your joy not allowing your faith to cave in on itself, but for you and for me, for my kids, for my wife, for my house, for you as this body of believers, when everything comes crashing in and storms come into your life, that you would not fold, but you would actually say, Jesus is enough. And that you could suffer well. Very few believers ever get to the point where Jesus is really enough. Why? Because it's easier to go through the storm and depend on your own self. And then even when the storm is over, talk about how good you are and what happened to get you through it. And here's where these men are. They're scared. How do you, I know that? Because the Bible shows us so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. The waves are coming in, and here's what they say. We are perishing. Do you see that? We are perishing. They're scared. And in the moment when you begin to lose sight of, and you begin to see that you cannot humanly face the storm, you can't overcome it, what begins to happen is your emotions begin to turn. You begin to be overwhelmed with anxiety. Your fear begins to rise. And as the fear begins to rise, you're now crying out saying, there's no way I can do this. And I don't know what's going to happen. And now you're ready to just throw in the towel. You've been there? Man, it's heavy, isn't it? It is so stinking heavy. That's not even a good word to use. It's just heavy. It's so heavy that you don't even know what to put into it. And your heart begins to sink and you're going, wait a minute. Is this really possible that I'm here? 
And you begin, their emotions begin to spin and they begin to say, look at Jesus. He's asleep. Are you kidding me? He's asleep. And you look at Mark and you look at Luke and you see how they respond. I can't believe he's asleep. Why is he he's asleep? We're just as busy as him. We were ministering all alongside him. We were there. Why is he sleeping? I love it. Jesus is asleep. Isn't that amazing? Now, how many of you can go to sleep quick? Yes? How many of you go to sleep and once you're asleep, you're out? I mean, like out. It's hard to wake up. Okay. I, um, I go to sleep within three minutes of hitting the pillow. It's just three to five minutes. I'm out. I'm just gone. Now, when I was going to camp as a youth pastor, I would always have to find a counselor who would wake up at everything. You know why? Because I would sleep all the way through practical jokes. Yep, that's true. And so I'd have to find somebody. Either I had to stay awake all night or I had to have somebody who, who woke up at every noise because you know teen guys and it's just scary. So here it is. Jesus is asleep. Think about this. This is a hard sleep. If the water's splashing in, you know he's getting wet, right? Now, water usually alone will wake you up. But Jesus is asleep. I love the humanness here. There's humor here. It's kind of like, okay, Jesus, you're asleep. The boat is not just, it doesn't have, it's not like one of those big luxury cruise liners that have the weights to keep it balanced. This is a wooden ship, a fishing boat. You know the boat's up and down, right? So the boat's bouncing up and down, and Jesus is what? Okay, now add another dynamic to it. Have you ever been in a quiet storm? You know, where softball size hell's falling or baseball size. Have you ever been in a quiet storm? It doesn't happen, does it? Usually you hear the rain, and then not only do you hear the rain, you see flashes of what? There you go, you see flashes of lightning. And what usually happens right after lightning is what? Jesus is asleep. This is crazy. He is exhausted, he's tired, he's asleep. And they're looking at him going, I can't believe he's asleep. And they even ask this question, don't you even care that we're perishing? Don't you even care? When you are in the midst of the storm, when I'm in the midst of the storm, isn't that a question we come to quite often? God, where are you? Where are you, God? I thought you cared about me. God, wait a minute. I thought you actually, I thought you knew what was going on. And I thought you were big enough to stop it. Why are you allowing this pain to come into my life? God, it doesn't make sense. I've loved you. I've served you. God, I don't even deserve this. Where are you? And your heart begins to just flat out melt inside. And you're going, there's no way possible that you're a good God. If you really loved me, you would actually change this. You would never allow this pain. If I'm really your child, where are you, God? Because this isn't fair. I look around and there's other people who are going through it much easier times. God, it's so much easier to, why, why, why me? I've served you. I've done what's right. I don't understand. Where are you? And God's silent. And it's as if he's asleep. But where's Jesus? 
He's in the boat. He's right there in the storm with you. That's comforting, isn't it? He knows what you're going through. As a matter of fact, he's right there with you going through it. And then Jesus, they finally wake him up. I don't know how you wake up a guy when the ship's rocking doesn't wake you up. So I don't know if you shake him even more. You can't pour water on him. Water's already coming in the boat. So I don't know how they wake him up, but they wake him up. And here's what Jesus says. You ready? Why are you afraid? Why? Why Why are you afraid? You've just spent time with me. I've given you a glimpse. I am Jesus. I am the Messiah. I am the king who is coming. And I will restore this kingdom. And when I restore my kingdom on this earth and I make heaven new, there will be no more pain. There will be no more sickness. There will be no more death. I just gave you a glimpse into all the miracles of how I'm going to make my kingdom right. I just gave you a glimpse that not only am I going to be good and make everything perfect and right, there will be no more evil in the world. I have power over all that. I just gave you a glimpse. Why are you afraid? You've missed me. And here's what we do over and over again. In our storms, we focus on the storm and we miss Jesus. And Jesus says, you've missed me. Your faith is gone. Where are you? Where? Why would you be afraid? I'm right here. My presence is enough. I'm here. Why are you afraid? I'm in your marriage. Why are you afraid? I'm in the middle of your work. Why are you afraid? I'm right there in the middle with your child. I'm right there in the middle of what you're going through, your your worst circumstance possible. I'm there. Why are you afraid? Is it speaking to you yet? Are you feeling the weight of this question? Why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. I, uh, people discredit this passage. They don't think that Jesus actually has the power. The power to actually calm a storm. According to Genesis, Genesis 1 and verse 1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So because he created, it kind of gives him a little bit of leverage, don't you think? And then Hebrews 1 and verse 3 actually tells us that God sustains all the universe. Let me just give you some thoughts about the universe real quick. You ready? Telescopes can take us some 4 billion light years into the galaxy. That's 25 sextillion miles into space. And yet they haven't found the end of space. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? The earth spins on its axis at 1,000 miles per hour at the equator. Why are we not dizzy? It's a fair question, right? The earth flies through space around the sun. Ready for this? At a thousand miles per minute around the sun. 
The sun itself has the equivalent of 500 million, million, billion horsepower. Hello. And yet it's one of the smallest suns. And in our galaxy alone, there are over 100,000 million other suns. (laughs) And Hebrews tells us that God sustains it all. So let me ask you this. If the creator of the universe sustains it all and holds it all, when he stands up and he actually says what? He rebukes the wind. Do you see this? He rebukes the wind. He gets onto it like a little child. (laughs) He rebukes the wind and he rebukes the waves and says, hey, don't do that to my kids. And he gets onto the waves and gets onto the sea. What what, What other choice does a storm have to do except it can only obey? When the creator and the sustainer says stop, there's no other choice but to what? Obey. And the storm stops immediately. We're used to storms gradually dissipating. This storm with the word stopped and the lake was still. The clouds are gone. There's no more lightning. There's no more rain. And they're sitting there. You ever been on a still lake? It's kind of spooky sometimes, especially when you're the only one out there. And look what the disciples do. And the men, what? Marveled. They marveled. Now, this is not like going to Six Flags and and being excited about the ride you just got off of. This is more intense than the fear that they just experienced. The Greek word is actually stronger. They're now more afraid of Jesus than they were of the storm because they can't believe that somebody would have that kind of power to actually stop the wind and the waves. And they wonder, we obviously don't know him. We obviously don't know Jesus well enough. What kind of guy is this? There's something different about him. And let me show you this, ready? In scripture, when somebody gets close to God, they always respond in worship. Let me say it another way so I can drive home the point. You ready? When somebody is going through suffering and they really see Jesus, the only response that they have in the midst of suffering is worship. And if you're not worshiping in the midst of your suffering, you haven't clearly seen Jesus. Whoa, Heath, I don't like that one. I know. Job, you remember him? The guy that nobody wants to be like? He lost 10 kids. And in losing 10 kids, losing all of his wealth, his business, his industry, he lost it all. He gets mad at God and he begins to call out to God, God, I demand that we go to court and I'm gonna prove to you, God, that you're unjust and that you treated me wrong. God, I want you to go to court and I'm gonna take you to court. And he complains and he complains and he complains all the way through. And then finally in Job chapter 42, God shows up and he says, all right, buddy, man up. Put your cowboy boots on, man up. We're going to fight, let's go. And God comes to him and he says, Job, 
when you can answer me how the sun stays in place when the stars, how they come up, when you can answer how that I keep the earth spinning and how I change the seasons. Job, when you can even answer why I put eyelashes on the ostrich. Job, when you can tell me where the horse gets such great strength. Then Job, you can talk to me about being fair and unjust and you can talk to me about what it means. And Job begins to back up and says, oh God, I'm sorry. And then you know what God says? "Uh Uh-uh, buddy, I'm not done with you yet. Man up. And God goes at him again. And he comes back. If you could answer, and he keeps saying, can you answer this about the universe? Can you do this? Can you take care of all the deer on the sides of the mountain? Who takes care of them? Who watches over their birthing process? Who actually makes sure that there's enough animals to go around and take care of the plants and the ratio so that it makes the air for you to breathe? And Job responds when he finally gets a hold of how big God is. Do you know what Job's response is? I've heard of you. I've heard of you. But I didn't know you. And I've never seen you like this. And I repent of my ways. You're awesome. Isaiah, he sees God and what does he do? Woe is me. I'm undone. And I can't even fathom who you are. Church, if you want to know how well you're doing with your suffering, look at your worship in the midst of your suffering. If you're not worshiping well, you're not suffering well. And what has happened is you haven't seen Jesus clear enough. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna give you three points to end with. You might wanna write them down. You might wanna go back to them because it will help you in your suffering. This past week, I've been reading an autobiography and I've been spending some time with um, John Bunyan. John Bunyan is a great author. Um, He was a preacher in England. He had four kids. His oldest was born blind. Right after his fourth, his wife passed away. Later, he gets remarried, and when his oldest daughter is 12, she's still blind. As a preacher, he is sent to prison in England for preaching the gospel. And he's told that if he would just stop preaching, he would be released at any time. He would be released. He says, if I have to stop preaching, then I can't be released because I'm going to continue to preach about Jesus He stays in prison for 12 years. In prison, he writes numerous books and he writes encouraging letters and encouraging books to his church. You know what most of the information's on? Suffering. Because he's trying to encourage his church to suffer well in the midst of persecution in England. He wants them to know that yes, even if they send you to prison, God's with you. And he writes to encourage. Some of them, his church members were even killed. And in prison, he writes a book that many of you maybe have read. It's called Pilgrim's Progress. It's behind the Bible, the second most popular book in print in the entire world. It's amazing, isn't it? At the end of his prison and at the end of his time, John Bunyan wrote this phrase. You ready? Bless you, prison. Bless you, prison prison for having been in my life. 
became so overwhelmed this week because I can guarantee you in my sufferings, <laughs> it's hard to say, bless you. And it's hard to say, I am so thankful for that blessing. And I am so thankful for that hurt. And I'm so thankful for that pain. And he goes on to say, I am thankful for the men who put me here <laughs> because they're God's instruments. Oh, if we as a people would get over our American dream and gospel wedding, and if we would come back to the reality of who God is, and he's greater than your dreams could ever be, I want us to suffer well. Three things and we'll be done. Number one, write it down, mark it down, because this is something we have to come back over and again. God is with you in your storm. You need to hear it. I need to hear it. We need to be reminded. God is with you in your storm. I am so thankful that Jesus was with them. It's a great picture. He's not worried. He's not even afraid. And if he's with you in the midst of your storm, why should you worry, my friend? Why? Number two. Storms reveal our dependency. Here's why storms are so important in our life. Because in the midst of our storm, whatever it is, it's unique to you, it's unique to your family, it's a storm and it's painful and it's hard. But in the midst of that storm, you ready? It reveals what you're dependent on. And when you can begin to identify and you begin to come to that realization that your human, whatever it is, strength, whatever, the finances, your, your spouse, whatever you've been depending on, if you can get to the point when you realize, wait a minute, I've been depending on that and you can turn it and you say, wait a minute, God, I'm sorry. I still have you and that's the greatest joy you'll ever have. You will find that he's sweeter and he means more to you than anything you've just lost. Storms, Reveal our dependency. Number three, fear and faith cannot coexist. When you find that you've realized what you've been depending on and why you've been afraid, then you can begin to move to a point where you say, I have faith that God will get me through. You see, if you have fear in the midst of the storm, it cannot coexist with faith. Why do I say that? Because spirit of evil brings fear. It's not of the Lord and the faith. So here's our prayer. Here's your prayer. Here's my prayer. I need to see you, Jesus. Open my eyes that I might see you clearly. Give me a fresh glimpse. And when you get that fresh glimpse, you're now able to worship at a fuller and it becomes sweet.